taking things apart and see how they've been implemented, how they work. And then once you take it apart and understand that, it's not a, a huge step to see how you might use the way it works in order to get the software to do what you want instead of what it's expecting to do. Hello, and welcome to the Hacker Next Door podcast, where we explore the origin stories, exploits, and everyday lives of real-world hackers. I'm your host, Jeremy N. Smith, and this series is my chance to challenge stereotypes and examine the human side of this extraordinary activity and profession, who hackers really are, and how hacking really works. My guest today is Skylar Rampersad, Senior Security Researcher at Immunity, Inc., She's an African-American woman born and bred in Washington, D.C., who was recruited by the NSA when she was still a teenager in high school. Skylar and I met more than 20 years ago in college, but I didn't know then she was already a hacker. She's cool, cold, confident, and precise, the last person you want against you, which is why I consider myself very fortunate to call her a friend. Mia culpa, you'll sometimes hear a rattle or pop as Skylar speaks. This fades to background pretty quickly, but I won't let it happen again. Thanks for your understanding. How's it going, Skylar? Pretty good. It's good to be here. Thanks for coming on. What is Immunity, Inc.? It's a cool name. Immunity is a boutique consulting firm. We're an offensively focused security consulting company. I can't really give the corporate spiel without laughing at myself. <laughs> That's all right. When I go on the website, it has r scary red letters and it says aggressive a lot and it says a hundred percent offensive and usually when you hire people they don't advertise that they're going to be aggressive and offensive but in this case you guys have i guess made a virtue of that so what's the sort of selling point there well the point of hiring an outside consultant is to sort of bring that hacker perspective to your organization so yes we're going to be focused on offense how an attacker is going to look at your network and try to get into your network and stay in there. And what is a senior security researcher? That is actually a very innocuous sounding name for 100% offensive, aggressive enterprise. As a security researcher, I'm looking at software all day, every day, basically looking for vulnerabilities. And we have some products. So one of our main product is called Canvas. We put exploits into that. So people who buy Canvas can really test their network from a real world attacker perspective. So as a researcher, I'm looking for vulnerabilities or writing up vulnerabilities into Canvas as my full-time job. And are these vulnerabilities in specific sort of setups that a organization is running or are these in the sort of stuff that we're all running like Netflix or Google Docs or Microsoft Office? So you named a bunch of really different things, but for the most part, we're not testing web-based applications that don't belong to the specific company or entity that has engaged us. We do do a mix of software that everyone runs and maybe software that they have developed or software that they bought from someone else. Can you give an example, either specific or kind of category, of the kind of software that you're taking apart and trying to see if there's holes in that could be exploited? Sure. We've had a company that developed a chat program for internal use. And they said, well, if we open this chat program up to other people besides our company, could someone use it to break in? And could they? Well, yes. 
<laughs> so they had their own kind of internal version of Slack or chat or iMessage or whatever you want to call it. And you tested this in a way that you could sort of pivot, if that's the word, uh, from there into more of the inner goodies of the company? Well, it was more like if we let someone who's not a trusted employee use this program, will they be able to use it to take over other accounts or take over the server that runs the chat program? So it's like, hey, I just want to chat with this uh, client or I want to chat with this sort of outside colleague. and But that's opening you up to a world of potential harm. Is that yes, what you're saying? Yes. And how long did that take you to figure out? That particular one, not too long. I mean, it really, everything's different, which is something that I love about this job. I get to look at a lot of different things. But just to kind of take apart a program and get a general idea of how it works and the code quality doesn't take very long. I would say a day, a couple of days. I'm picturing the end of Star Wars when they're looking at the blueprints of the Death Star. Is that, you know, sort of metaphorically accurate? It's, it's a bit of a stretch for a metaphor, but, <laughs> but I'll, I'll allow it. All right. Do you at least do a fist pump and say, we're in, when, you've, when you figure out the exploit? Or is it a quiet moment where you get up, go to the break room, have a Diet Dr. Pepper, and then send an email? I'm, I'm a, more of a quiet person, so I think it's more of get up, have a stretch, smile. Fair enough. Where are you from? Where, you know, how did you uh, come to this dark dark world that you, I guess, bring light into? I grew up in Washington, D.C., and my career path is really not that unusual. I worked for the DOD for a while. Is it fair to be more specific than the Department of Defense, or are you not allowed to be more specific? No, okay. We can, we can say NSA. Okay. We've got DOD, Department of Defense. We've got NSA, National Security Agency. Yeah, so... I'm going to date myself and say I started at NSA at a time when they just instructed everyone, just say you work for DOD. Got it. But that's actually and, passed. I, I, thought the, I thought the sort of stereotype was you say, I work in government. And then that, that's supposed to be so boring an answer that no one will ever follow up and find out that you're a sort of cyber spy. But, but no, they said Department of Defense. Yeah. So that just kind of kind of became my habit to say. You and I actually went to college together, so you're probably the oldest, uh, not the oldest hacker I know, I'm putting that wrong. You're probably the first professional hacker I ever met, but I had no idea that that's what you did for a long time. And I heard a story that I have not heard from you and maybe myth or maybe reality. So let me just share it with you and you can uh, confirm or deny. When you're like 15 years old, you get a perfect score on the SATs. You get a perfect 1600. And this gets written up in the newspaper. And at some point, you get like a knock on the door. And it's two guys in suits. And they come in and they're like, we want you to work for the NSA. This is going to be like the ROTC. You know, you're going to join the military. You're going to be our cyber warrior. We're going to pay for you to go to Harvard you just have to come work for us in the summers and after you graduate and we're going to be in business together. And you kind of look at them with squinty eyes and they look at you with squinty eyes and your mom's in the middle and there's sort of a slow nod. And then this is what actually happens. Is this true? Is this the real origin story of Skylar? 
It is 80% true. All right. All right. Instead of squinty-eyed guys, it was two um, very nice ladies from HR. Okay. And they, they sent me a letter. They didn't come knock on my door. Whoa. This is like a cold call letter. This just comes in the mail. Did you think it was a real thing? I thought it was a real thing. The program that I was in wasn't like just for me. They actually did have a program to bring talented high school students into the agency and pay for their college. I mean, it sounds almost like X-Men or something. You're like a teenager tapped on the shoulder to come inside. When does it become face-to-face? Pretty soon after that, I was able to go out to Fort Meade and have the unclassified tour. And are you, are you indeed 15, 16 years old at this point? Yeah. And you're, that seems young. Is that sophomore, junior year? What that was, is this? Yeah, my junior year of high school. Whoa. Okay, so your junior year of high school, first of all, congratulations. I know it's been 25 years. Let me be the last to congratulate you on a perfect SAT score. I think that's pretty hard. And then weeks, months, days, hours later, you're in Fort Meade walking around. What are you seeing? Is there the sort of, can you see them track Will Smith in real time as he's, you know, going rogue around the world or... Jason Bourne or, you know, what, what does it look like from the insider? Is it very, I don't know, cubicled? It is very cubicled. In your book, you talk about how when Alien was working in government, she was like, oh, it's just beige and bland and boring. I mean, it is all of that. I don't know. I'm a very even keeled kind of person that doesn't bother me. That fits my personality. Okay. What was the team that they started you on? The team that I started on was writing firmware for some signals collecting equipment. Firmware is software that goes inside a piece of hardware. Is that right? Yeah, it's sort of yeah. like what's what's built into it? Exactly. So, and again, you're a freshman in college mm-hmm. and you're writing what I'm just sort of imagining is the sort of software that has to be built into a spy satellite or something like that. Is that in the ballpark? That's close. And again, as someone who was just there for two or three months, I don't even know if the software got used anywhere. Well, it's still quite an internship. How did you go from that to what you would call you know, more straight up hacking? Once I was there, I got to look around and see which groups were doing like interesting, exciting work. And I tried to get my next internship lined up with a group that I wanted to be in. And of course, I thought hacking was really cool. What is your kind of source of learning? Is it what you're doing in the classroom at Harvard? Is it what you're doing in your summer internships at the NSA? Or is it ultimately, you know, when you go to work there full time, And it's just the day in, day out, joining a specific team, taking this class with a potential mentor. How do you kind of divide up your education or where do you kind of credit your learning moments? So I will say that the computer science program at Harvard, while very good, does not teach you anything about computer security. So I would say that all of my professional learning has been on the job. And is this doing stuff or do they say, hey, come into the break room on Friday, bring your tuna fish sandwich, and we're going to teach you how to crack this system or that system? A bit of both. A lot of stuff you really have to kind of just maybe read a manual and think about how it applies to the system you're looking at. You know, classes can only take you so far because if someone's teaching a class on it, it's 
been done and you probably aren't going to find or learn anything cutting edge from a class or from reading. So it's really just sort of taking things apart day after day that you really learn how to do it. I mean, that's a great distinction. I feel like a lot of hackers are using holes or exploits that have been around a long time or someone else has been discovered or that are pretty well known, but just haven't been fixed or the particular user they're targeting or systems they're targeting haven't patched those holes. Where the NSA, your job is to find new holes and your targets are potentially the most sophisticated systems in the world. And so you, you can pretty much assume that their security is as good as they can put it together. Is that true that you have to keep finding vulnerabilities that haven't been discovered before? You have a sort of discovery responsibility? Right. And there's a, a whole back and forth going on about whether the government should even be in the business of finding and holding on to vulnerabilities. Yeah, and this is 20 years later. It's funny, you're, you're at 100% offensive uh, company at Immunity. Was the NSA at that point when you joined it also 100% offensive-minded? No, I mean, so the NSA has always had this dual mission of protecting government networks and assets and exploiting adversary networks, right? So there's always been sort of this tension between those two missions. But I think now that you've seen more vulnerabilities come out in the general public, people are asking if the government as a whole should be holding on to vulnerabilities. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen an even broader criticism, which is basically that the government encourages insecure systems because we want to, they want to be able to break into them. So they don't want people to have general encryption or they don't want systems to have security built into their architecture from the beginning because they worry then the individuals, institutions, foreign governments, foreign adversaries that they target may be protected. And the sort of irony is some of our adversaries, like, say, North Korea, they don't have technologically advanced societies. We have the technologically advanced society. So by kind of making the core technologies that we all rely on insecure, we're making ourselves more vulnerable. Is that the kind of debate that you're seeing today? Or, you know, how, how does that, how do you make sense of that kind of divide? You've, you've hit the points there. I guess my position is that it's silly to try to find a middle ground in, in that debate. So where do you stand? Do you say, uh, open it up, I'm coming in? Or do you say, let's let's protect as much as possible, and I'll still try to find my way in, but at least we'll make it harder for the people who maybe aren't quite as clever or don't have the same time and resources. We should make it as hard as possible or as easy as possible to break in. I mean, the thing is, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, we should just let the government have vulnerabilities for a little while. And that makes absolutely no sense at all. Basically, we're, we're in a big data age where you can say people who are running sensitive networks are going to be recording stuff that happens all the time. So if you get a chance to exploit that network, put software implants on it, do whatever sort of operation you're going to do, and then later on you publish the tools that you used to do that, it's not a big logical jump for the adversary to then say, okay, I see the U.S. government knew about this. Let me go back and see if anything that looks like this happened on my network. 
So by sharing your information, you're admitting that you were the attacker? Essentially, yes. And that's a and bad idea? Instead, it's a bad idea. The, you should either attack and not share or share and not attack? Is that what right. they kind of divide? Exactly. So what was the deal that you had? Did you have a certain set period of, of service that you needed to complete? Roughly six years. And was that time you served or did you stay yeah. longer? No, I was, I was there longer. When you count it all up, it was close to 12 years. Okay. So what, what prompted the shift from the NSA? Was immunity your next step? It was. What's the sort of appeals? The lack of bureaucracy was, was a big one. The pay was a big one. And the ability to keep working on interesting technical problems was, was really good. How do the technical resources compare at private business like immunity versus the NSA? I assume NSA just has computing resources that are not comparable to anyone other than, say, you know, Amazon or Google at the sort of scale of operations. But at the same time, now you can rent things like computing power from Amazon or Google. And maybe computing power isn't, isn't actually the end-all, be-all anymore. We're not code-breaking. You're, you're looking for other kind of holes in the way you described earlier. Yeah, How would exactly. you sort of describe the, the power dynamic? Can anyone be a, a pretty high-powered hacker with sort of off-the-shelf tools these days? Hacker encompasses a lot of things. But in terms of finding vulnerabilities, you don't need a lot of special equipment you basically need a laptop and some software. How would you kind of describe how your mind works when you're looking at this stuff? Well, different people have different processes. For the most part, I just start at where the attacker, or I'm, I'm just going to say me, use me and attacker interchangeably, Okay. Um, where I can provide input to the program and follow it through and see what happens to that. And most of the time, I'll find that the input is used in sort of a trusting way, which, you know, would allow either memory corruption or some unintentional functionality to happen. I, th I think all of us have seen a version of this. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day. She was trying to feed a new kind of more electronic parking meter and it wasn't working. She got frustrated. She sort of started stabbing the buttons. And for whatever reason, the combinations of buttons she hit, all of a sudden it was sort of asking for input. It was letting her reset the time. It was kind of gave her control of the system or at least of that particular parking meter. And she was literally just hitting a few buttons. And I think we've all come up to ATMs that all of a sudden have weird messages. Sometimes they just say it's down for maintenance, but sometimes it looks like computer screen code and, you know, or airport check-in terminals. So I think those are those little moments where we see, oh, there, there isn't a wizard behind this, and this isn't just a, a clever screen. There's this is a computer, and if someone hits the right buttons, in or the the right buttons in the wrong way, they can take control. Is that kind of what you're trying to do with these more sophisticated pieces of software that people are using internally? Pretty much, I like taking things apart and see how they've been implemented, how they work. And then once you take it apart and understand that, it's not a, a huge step to see how you might use the way it works in order to get the software to do what you want instead of what it's expecting to do. Hmm. So often when I talk to people who are hackers or in the information security industry, they're like, well, the first thing I need to tell you is I'm a white hat hacker. You know, I hack to improve security. And 
one of the first things you told me when we kind of had our first conversation where you were like, I'm a hacker, you know, or I kind of asked some questions. I was like, are you a hacker? And you said, yeah. And I said, how would you describe yourself? What kind? And you were like, I'm a black hat hacker. And so I thought that was, that was interesting. So what does being a black hat hacker mean to you? It means that I do my work with an offensive focus. And, you know, when I find a vulnerability, I'm not like, oh, we need to get this fixed right away. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what, what can we do with this? How far can we go with this? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Wow. I saw a, a really interesting little detail in, I was doing a quick search just to see if and when you'd been in the news. And there was a piece on you that was sort of a follow-up on, I think, an earlier piece in the Washington Post about getting that perfect score on the SATs. And this was much later. This was, this was after you'd graduated from college. And there was a, a, an interview with your mom a bit. And she said that you, well, I guess one thing I should say, since we're obviously we're in audio, you're an African-American woman. And she said you were 11 years old before you realized that the United States was not predominantly African-American. And I wonder... A, is, can you verify that story? It's another myth, or, or uh, we want to know if that if that legend is true. And also just kind of how that sense of community melds with your life as a hacker, and if that, is that still the kind of community you're, you and your family are in today? Yeah, I mean, so I think that's pretty true. I mean, the elementary school I went to was predominantly Black, and Washington, D.C. at that time was a majority Black city. And, you know, we weren't jet-setting all over the place, so... Do you have classmates that had the same talents or opportunities that you had? Was there the sort of pathway to this or was this sort of a launch into the unknown? And by this, I mean Harvard and the NSA and computer security. It's interesting. So my high school was pretty small, but we did have a lot of students who went on to Ivy League schools. So it wasn't like just me. I mean, what's cool about being in a community that is majority or a lot of African-American students is that you see a greater diversity in what that means. You know, you can have the jocks, you can have the nerds, you can have the people going to the state school and the people traveling abroad. I would think if it is economically diverse as well. I mean, it's interesting because you've gone so far in your career, but you're also staying pretty close to where you grew up. I would say I had a very happy childhood and you know, I want my kids to have a similar kind of upbringing. I never felt like I had to be a certain way, could just be myself. That's probably the the greatest gift a parent can give a, a child or, or a or community can give a child. Are you in a community very near, similar to the one you grew up in? And how many kids do you have? You said you mentioned kids. Yeah, I have uh, two kids. Yeah. And yes, I, I'm actually about a seven minute drive away from the house where I grew up. Do you feel like it is a normal nine to five job being a black hat hacker for you and your family? You're in the neighborhood you grow up in. You've got a couple kids. Are you doing minivan, carpools, soccer practice, exploits, vulnerabilities, signal tracking, skin knee, dance performance? You know, what's the sort of schedule or is it a little bit more exotic than we might expect? Um, yeah, no, I think you were being silly, but that actually described like 99% of my life. And do you see other African-American women at the office? Do you see them in, in the industry? I think 
just even a hacker being a mom is so stereotype busting or a hacker being an adult <laughs> is so stereotype busting. So yeah, I'm just kind of wondering about representation in your company or in your industry. Yeah, it's a thing. There aren't that many black women out here in tech in general, in information security in particular. And what about women? There's a, a fair number of women. And actually, as we have like this younger generation coming up who are in their 20s now, I actually do see more women and more Black women getting into the field. Uh, that's That's been good to see. Is there, you know, anything else I'm kind of missing in the life of a of a hacker that you feel like, you know, people need to know about that this is this is this is what the black hat next door is doing in her in her free time or in her work time that you might not expect? I would say this about any field that you shouldn't necessarily rule it out just because you think people like me don't do this job. Mm. I've been doing this job and not seen a whole bunch of people like me over the, gosh, 15 plus years, we'll call it. I've been doing it, but that hasn't held me back from getting good at it and having my career be what I want it to be. Thank you so much, Skylar, for her time. The website for Immunity Inc. is immunityinc.com. And Skylar is at NotWindow on Twitter. Thank you to Furniture for our theme music, And thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with friends. And please join me again when I speak with Johnny Long about Google hacking, finding God, and bringing the hacker spirit to philanthropy. That's next time on The Hacker Next Door.